I'm Rebecca Malachi-Meslin, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a show on Naperville Community Television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. And I'm Dana Davenport. Naperville has been cited repeatedly in the last 10 to 15 years for its lack of affordable housing. Today, we are digging into why that is and what collective steps we are taking to remedy it by exploring the past, present, and future of local affordable housing. We'll be talking to planning and housing experts about our success, our failures, and how we best move forward. Here, through courageous conversation, in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. It's hard to talk about the present and future without first acknowledging the past. From the beginning, Naperville has been very strategic in its planning and development. We are joined today by Bob Brugman, a professor of art history and urban planning at the University of Illinois Chicago, and the author of Sprawl, A Compact History, and Judy Broadhead, who served on and chaired the Naperville Plan Commission before serving on the city council for 12 years. She is also an English professor and coordinator of cultural events at North Central College. Our guests have joined us here to discuss where we started and how that foresight set the table for where we are today. Thank you both for joining us today. Judy, can you talk about what Naperville did well from its inception and how that forward thinking helped to get us to the place we are at today? Well, I'm not sure how much of it was um, as, as planned as we might like to think. If you drive around the country, you'll see lots of cities that developed um, in the 1900s and the 1800s in similar sorts of ways. The town developed around a, a river. Um, uh, when the railroad came in, that was uh, tremendously important to the development of the area. Um, and then uh, over the years, uh, the college developed a, starting in the middle of the uh, 1800s along with the town and then uh, then a hospital and then, um, you know, moving, moving forward, we had a, uh, a, a YMCA. And so those sorts of institutions uh, developed that made it uh, sensible to have housing right around those areas. But on the whole, Naperville, like so many places around the country, was really a, a farm town. So the, the farmers lived uh, further out. And um, when we got into the 1980s and the 1990s in a time of uh, a lot of rapid uh, housing development, it really was all that land to draw on. Bob, you studied suburban expansion in your book in 2005. What did you discover then about the expansion and housing, and what do you see now? Well, I think one of the things you always have to keep in mind about um, housing is that traditionally in the United States, it was allocated because of market mechanisms. That was how it worked for almost the entire history of, of Naperville. There, there really was almost no public planning of any kind in America in the 19th century, even the early 20th century. Um, public planning is something that's really come after World War II. And so we got a lot of housing before there was any planning. Starting in the 1950s, 1960s particularly, the government increasingly intervened in housing to create uh, different kinds of um, public goods. And I have to say it's, I, it's, it's either a direct cause of that or it's uh, ironic that it's at the same time that affordability uh, has decreased dramatically. So um, most American cities uh, and municipalities from the 1950s, 1960s, let's say, there was a rule of thumb that most people could afford a house if it were no more than three times the income. And that was something that was very common. And you could see it almost all over the United States. Since 1970, that is no longer the case. Affordability has just uh, diminished dramatically and much more so on the coasts than in the center of the country. Judy, Naperville historically has been very strategic in its development and land use. Then came the 90s when larger homes were going up and Sector G development exploded. The housing market turned inwards and started the teardown craze. Smaller affordable house neighborhoods were overtaken by large, extremely priced homes. Uh, tell us about the development and the expanding footprint of the community as it grew. 
Okay. First, I, I do have to mention that I'm a huge admirer of, of Bob. Um, we've had him as a, a guest at the at the college. I I use his book Sprawl in my uh, in my classes, so it's it's really great to uh, be sharing this the screen here with him. Um, yeah, and and as Bob said, I would say that Naperville was not necessarily all that strategic up until say the the eighties the 80s and the 90s. And um, as I mentioned earlier, there, there was space to develop into, and developers started um, uh, making deals with, with farmers, uh, not pushing them out immediately, but, but saying, uh, when you decide to sell your farm, or if you decide to sell your farm, we would like to buy it. And that often happened in, say, 200-acre increments. Um, there are many people still who are um, very prominent in town who uh, grew up on some of those uh, grew up on some of those farms. Um, you know, there there was all this available area. Um, it, it was a, a great place to live. The school district started developing kind of uh, quickly. Um, and then even a little bit later than that, when we started getting into uh, the 90s, um, the, as you mentioned, the, the teardown craze, if you want to call that, started, um, people were able to get mortgages for very big houses and build houses of, you know, say, five bedrooms and uh, four bathrooms and uh, maybe that were well over 3,000 square feet, which was uh, pretty unusual for one nuclear family. There's, there were lots of Victorian houses in, in Naperville. We still see them uh, in the historic district and along Chicago Avenue. They often had three generations living in them, um, but these became you know really big houses for one nuclear family, parents, and uh, you know, two or three or or possibly, possibly four kids, and and that really was quite different. So, um, they did start replacing some of the smaller and and what had been the uh, the more affordable kinds of houses. Sometimes, on um, really city-sized lots, which were had narrow frontage, but um, were deep enough so that it could be um, be built to be pretty big, even even within the historic district area. Bob, is this a widespread problem facing other communities with growth that's similar to Neighborville's? Yes, uh, I think a, a little bit of a review of what governments have done about affordability is in order here, because I think that we've seen a progression. Um, right after World War II, we had two things that happened, um, which were really groundbreaking. One of them was uh, for rentals. We had rent control. And we had that in quite a few cities because there had been artificial shortages during the war. Now, on the house ownership side, um, we had uh, sort of similar policies where um, we decided, for example, that for the for the very poor people who were really the ones that needed affordable housing more than anything, we would do public housing, which was the most direct way to do it. But unfortunately, in, although it, I, I think it's fair to say that it worked in a lot of cases, but in a great many other cases, it didn't work, partly because even though it was trying to take it out of the market, it never really did that. So for example, in Chicago, for every unit that you build, it meant that in a city with declining population, you were probably going to lose um, private housing. And so I think that for most people, once again, this was a cautionary tale that you get the government involved in these ways that are well-meaning, very well-intended, and even sometimes carried out very well. But the minute you get the, this intrusion into the market, things happen that you can't predict, unpredictable consequences. And I think that what's happened since that time is that we've had a lot more um, indirect ways of trying to keep things affordable, like Section 8 housing that is a government supplement um, or um, other various schemes where it doesn't appear that it's the government 
putting money directly into the system. It comes in indirect ways, and I think that's where we are now. But uh, all of this is to part of a larger pattern where governments increasingly have been intrusive in the private sector in trying to promote things like diversity or open space or uh, a whole range of options of things that people want, but unfortunately, very often they're in conflict. Judy, what do you think Naperville could have done differently to ensure that we wouldn't currently have this shortage of affordable housing that we do now? Well, and, and something that, that Bob mentioned as well is certainly connected to what happened to uh, Naperville and suburbs all over the country. Um, people were able to get uh, VA mortgages after World War II, but people of color were, were denied that. Uh, we, we all are pretty familiar with the idea of redlining that occurred in the city of Chicago and in um, you know the great difficulty that uh, people of color had in in moving to uh, in moving to suburbs. Um, it, it might have been a very different picture and we might have had uh, a lot more diversity a lot earlier if so many roadblocks hadn't been thrown up in, in front of people who, who wanted to uh, uh, who wanted to move to suburbs. Um, something that Naperville probably could have done, and now we're talking about a couple of decades later, in the, uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s, when I was on uh, the plan commission, we very deliberately did try to increase the sizes of lots in some places, especially in the southern end of town, the Will County portion, um, which I've lived in for uh, more than 35 years now. Uh, and, and that was partly and probably primarily to slow down the growth to help out the school district, because the school district, um, since Naperville has two major school districts, 203 and 204, because it was developing so quickly, the school district was having to build uh, schools almost every year. So it was, it, it was, um, it, it was that kind of planning in a way, like let's, see if we can find some mechanism so things don't grow quite so quickly. Well, unfortunately, what that had the effect of doing with the larger lots is um, creating uh, neighborhoods where the houses were, were quite big without having um, perhaps more variety in the, in the size of housing. Also, I think the staff would probably agree at the city that our, our zoning ordinances have... Um, are, are pretty strict so that almost any developer building a substantial number of houses uh, is going to have to ask for a variance to, um, to get anything substantial created or even to build the number of uh, units that, that make sense for a parcel of the size that they own. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to be talking to local experts to understand how we define affordable housing in Naperville and why we might be falling short. Thank you both for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at home or on the go with NCTV 17 News Update. This quick recap of everything happening in and around town will be delivered straight to your email inbox for free. Sign up today. Welcome back. We are still joined by Bob Brugman and Judy Broadhead. And we have also added Mike Ryder, one of the founding members of the DuPage Housing Alliance, and Kevin Gallagher, a Naperville attorney and former city councilman, to the conversation. Thank you both for joining us. Now we switch gears to the present day and our current affordable housing efforts. The Illinois Housing Development Authority, or IHDA, has twice cited Naperville for its lack of affordable housing. The agency assesses cities based on the number of available housing units that would be affordable to a family earning below the region's median income. Mike, can you define affordable housing for us today? Uh, yeah, thank you, Dana. First, first of all, I'm glad to be here. The Page Housing Alliance is primarily made up of Naperville residents, and we've been advocating for housing issues for over six years, and we've done a lot of research. So you can easily calculate, according to the state of Illinois, whether you are living in affordable housing based on two numbers. First, the dollars you pay for housing. That would be rent and utilities for renters or 
mortgage plus utilities plus real estate taxes for homeowners. The yeah. second number is your gross household income. If that first number, the dollars you pay for housing, is 30% or less of your gross household income, then your housing is affordable for you. If Naperville is striving to officially grow our 7.5% of affordable housing, that is the definition it needs to meet. Wonderful, thank you. Kevin, in your opinion, why do you think Naperville is failing to meet the requirements laid out by the IHDA? Well, I think some of the concerns that people have when they look at the requirements is the definition of a region, uh, the definition of what's affordable, is, does a single family home, uh, should that be the only criteria? Should we look at apartment dwellings and should we look at uh, condominiums? Uh, should we look at what the community does for our seniors who are downsizing, who have limited, uh, limited resources? And I think also looking at what the community does in terms of individuals with disabilities who tend to fall toward the lower end of the income spectrum. And the state of Illinois doesn't distinguish between most of those houses categories. Uh, but I think when you look at, especially with uh, housing accessibility for individuals with disabilities and for seniors, Naperville has really been at the forefront in providing uh, housing opportunities and independent living opportunities for those uh, individuals. Um, but I, I think I think it's a very, very, uh, very complicated issue, and, and there is no simple answer. Judy, city staff have voiced concerns regarding the methodology used to derive their affordability calculations. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. Last night, there just happened to be a workshop um, about a potential um, IZO, uh, an inclusionary zoning ordinance. Um, it's, a, it's a term familiar to uh, planners and uh, around the country. Uh, and they enlisted SB Friedman as consultants to take a look at some communities. Um, and just as uh, Bob was mentioning earlier, uh, we found that uh, ones on the east and west coast had much higher house prices. They used uh, Newton, Massachusetts, uh, Arlington County, Virginia, um, Montgomery County, Maryland, um, and San Marcos, uh, California. But what's what the staff really uh, has a problem with with the with the calculation on the part of IHDA is that rather than taking the actual property taxes that would be calculated on a home, say a home costing less than $200,000, um, and instead of using that calculation, they use the average um, tax bill in the city of Naperville, which is $8,000 a year. So on a house of, you know, say that's worth about $350,000. So the staff um, thinks that's you know, not really fair because they're calculating a much higher number to come up with, uh, um, you know, what it would, what it would cost. However, um, it was announced last night that, um, that that uh, agency does not want Naperville to uh, keep complaining about that. They're not going to change it, but to move forward with whatever plan they have to increase the availability of, of affordable housing. So that was that was pretty interesting. Um, uh, I think many people listening to the meeting or attending it didn't know exactly what the problem was. Yeah, and I uh, I think it still is, is it, it's complicated. But the reality is that even if the state's calculation could be changed to increase our percentage on paper to meet or exceed, exceed the requirement, that really wouldn't do anything to resolve the housing affordability issue in our community. The people that have that problem would still have the problem. So I'm not sure why we continue to debate the numbers. We really need to get on with solving the problem, in my view. One of the things I think is we ought to acknowledge here is that uh, affordable housing is usually not new housing to begin with. So the idea that you'll solve affordability by new housing 
is probably not very um, useful as a concept. Um, if we want to look at two examples, uh, we look at Houston, we look at San Francisco, dramatically different. Houston, very little in the way of no zoning, very little in the way of planning. San Francisco, tremendous amount of planning, lots and lots of um, regulations of all kinds. All of them good, all of them worthwhile, but it pushes the affordability way up. So if you're really thinking about affordability in the long term, it has to be the average house price of new houses, but it's probably going to be the used houses that are going to be the affordable housing. So I think that um, in many ways, it may be that trying to build new affordable housing may just be a, uh, a strategy that isn't uh, very viable. I think that's a great point to make about how uh, this, the answer is not necessarily in new development or building new homes. Um, Mike, in addition to an inclusionary zoning ordinance, what other steps could Naperville take to increase affordability? Well, I'd like to comment a bit on the term inclusionary zoning ordinance. It creates a lot of negative connotations for a lot of people. And in the most general sense, it, it's really the definition of a community's affordable housing policy and it has a focus on affordability and it outlines and sets a set of tools to be used to implement the policy. And so it might be better to call it an inclusionary housing policy, perhaps. But it isn't certainly the only step that could be taken, as uh, Bob had alluded to some of those as well. Uh, the latest affordable housing study that the city funded was, was the Friedman Report, listed 21 recommendations. Uh, and there, so there are a lot of choices. City Council has already asked staff to create a plan to preserve those little houses that are already here, naturally occurring affordable housing, so-called NOAA housing, smaller homes that are in danger of being torn down and replaced. Councils also asked staff to establish a revolving rehabilitation loan fund, specifically targeted, targeted towards low-income seniors who currently own in Naperville so they can make the necessary repairs and age in place. Mm. Uh, the Housing Alliance identified other Friedman recommendations, lowest cost, highest impact. Uh, housing Trust Fund, this would be a bank for developer in lieu of payments and other housing funds. Rezoning non-residential properties to residential or mixed use to create more land for development opportunities. Perhaps a good use for some public owned land, as well as vacant retail centers like the strip malls that we see around. And finally, uh, allowing accessory development new dwelling units. That would be basement apartments and above garage apartments. But the highest priority we identified was to create a housing-specific city staff position. As we've discussed, there are a lot of potential housing affordability solutions, and simply legislating them will not implement them effectively. They need to be monitored and modified as, as time goes on. Kevin, from your perspective, what are currently some of the biggest barriers to achieving affordable housing in Naperville? Well, I think the biggest uh, barrier is the job opportunities in the immediate area. Uh, most of the businesses that have developed in Naperville per se are uh, higher end office, white collar jobs. Um, you know, we've seen some companies like Office Max move in and then move out. Uh, the access to the railroads uh, to get have commuters uh, go downtown has been another factor that's really driven people to want to live in a neighbor in Naperville. The type of jobs that lower income workers have are really not in our in our city. They are in our region. You know, if you look at Aurora and Bolingbrook and Carroll Stream, there are more of the factory industrial type jobs. Um, and and it's difficult if you're a lower income family to and you can only have one automobile or if, if both parents are working, it's difficult to trans uh, to commute to Aurora for some of the jobs at the factories that are there or to Carroll Stream uh, or, or to Plainfield or, or Bolingbrook. Uh, so consequently, most of, more of the affordable housing is in Aurora or, or Carroll Stream or in the communities that have industries that um, are more, uh, more industrial. 
So I, I, if, if you don't mind, I, um, I, I will push back just a little bit on that, Kevin, because I think we do have, uh, they certainly aren't um, uh, the same kind of factory, factory jobs. I mean, partly because we resisted anything that was more than light industrial for a, a very, very long time. And we want to, you know, we uh, tried to define things as, as uh, business parks as opposed to uh, industrial parks. But we do have a pretty high percentage of workers in, in food businesses. That, I think that's a population of people who do have a difficult time finding, um, finding housing. And uh, you know, that would be one population I would think of um, when it when it comes to people who are you know are working locally but probably have a very difficult time finding housing uh, locally and just as you say have to you know pretty much have to use a car. Well, and I and I would just add that I think if you look at what's going on as we recover from the pandemic, that uh, people in those industries are having difficulties finding uh, good housing, not just in Naperville, but throughout the country, whether they live in the city of Chicago or in any of the other suburbs. Uh, you know, that's that's more of, a, I think that's more of a sociological issue in terms of how those people are paid than a housing issue. And, and, and so I think you're seeing some pushback yeah. from people that have those jobs saying, I'm not going to settle for that same low wage anymore. Um, my job has become more important. I think there are other barriers that are a little differently viewed that are associated with misconceptions of, of about, about affordable housing and myths. Uh, what it looks like today as opposed to what it used to look like. Um, the concern uh, about uh, reduced property values, which studies don't support uh, generally, uh, but and there's another barrier, one that we I don't think we can ignore, and it's mostly unspoken and, and really the unwarranted concern about the character of the lower income population that is in need of affordable solutions. Uh, it's not often expressed, but it is out there. And, and I think there needs to be more education around around affordable housing and the people that use it. Something, if, if we want to look backwards, if you look around the train station in Naperville, there isn't a lot of housing that was built for factory workers at the fifth, what is the Fifth Avenue Station uh, building, which was the Crayler Furniture Factory, um, really built for those workers. And of course, we just are not seeing anything um, like that built on that very expensive land now, or even anything built uh, further out that is that is quite that modest. Yeah, and I think part of the issue in Naperville is there isn't really much land yet to be developed. So we're either going to have to come up with a solution where people that have lived in Naperville for a long time who've watched their real estate properties appreciate you know, how do you tell them that you can't sell for the fair market value of of your property unless there's some type of governmental support in place uh, to compensate them, which which may be a solution. But I don't know where those funds would come from. There's always a catch with every one of these. In almost every case, it's either that someone else is subsidizing, um, often people subsidizing that really make less money than the, 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 the target, because the targets that we've been hearing lately have been workforce housing, and these are not poor people. These are people making 60 and 80 percent of the regional um, uh, average uh, median price. So um, it would be very simple to uh, get much more affordable housing in Naperville. You could simply remove all density requirements, remove most of the zoning requirements, uh, all the parking requirements, and you could probably get a lot more housing very quickly. But the downside to that, as with all of these other things, is that it's always going to impact on somebody else. Naperville has consistently had pushback from the school districts. You know, the, when I started, when I first moved to Naperville, Wabonzi Valley High School was the only high school in District 204, and nobody really even knew how to get there because it was considered so far off. And then in the late 1990s, we built Nequa High School, 
And we were told that that was going to take care of the future growth in District 204 forever. Forever has come. So exactly. So we have the school districts who are uh, objecting to higher densities and, and, and that type of thing. Yeah, well, you know, my kids, uh, my older two kids went to Wabonzi. I, I figured out where it was. Um, and that was uh, back in the, uh, you know, the, the early 90s. Those, those children uh, who went there are now 40 and 44 years old. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a while ago. I do think uh, schools and education are a big part of the discussion with, for, with affordable housing. Uh, are we doing a good job planning and dispersing affordable housing access across Naperville? And are we making sure that affordable housing isn't only feeding into a few schools? No matter what, the largest amount of growth moving forward in, in housing is going to be in District 204 because it's where the, the space is available. Um, the area that is uh, 203 is, is pretty much built out. We're, we're not going to see a, a great deal of, uh, of growth in, in 203. Um, but within that area, um, since there are three high schools, I'm, I'm sure they would like to see it sort of distributed among them, but that, you know, that can get, be geographically tricky. Something that that school district has always worked on that I really admire, though, is making sure there's always a blend of students from Aurora and Naperville in each one of those high schools. So one doesn't become the Aurora High School and one the, the Naperville High School. They have worked really hard so that uh, didn't happen. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, if they have to do any boundary decisions in the future, that will continue to be um, a, a policy that they, um, you know, that, they, uh, that they work on. So I don't know, when it gets down to something really specific, like an elementary school, um, that can that can get difficult if you're, if you're trying to spread it out. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the other side of this break, we're talking to local experts about the future of affordable housing in Naperville and how to best move forward. Stick with us. Want to get more eyes on your business while supporting Naperville's nonprofit TV station? Advertise on NCTV17.com which draws tens of thousands of viewers each week for the latest in local news, sports, and events. Or put an ad in NCTV 17 News Update, an email sent to thousands of subscribers every Monday through Friday. Visit nctv17.com advertising for details. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. We are now pivoting our conversation about affordable housing and looking towards the future. I'm gonna start with you, Judy. Where do you think Naperville will be in the next 10 to 15 years as it relates to affordable housing? Well, you know, as someone who came here in my 30s, um, and, and So just like 30s, five years ago, you've been yeah, here. Just ago. <laughs> um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm still here uh, 36 years later. I know there are lots of people like me who came here in their 30s or 40s, um, raised families, um, and find themselves at a point where they realize, well, I don't know how much longer I want to stay in um, a house that uh, has lots of stairs and a yard requires a, a pretty good amount of maintenance. So I think we probably, and I think there are a lot of people in that category who um, want to stick around. When we were on plan commission years ago, we thought, oh, everybody, by the time they'll get a seat, become seniors, most of them are going to want to move to someplace that is warmer. They'll go to <laughs> Florida, they'll go somewhere else. And then it turned out that very often their kids stick around here and they want to be around their grandchildren. And maybe they want to get away for a couple of cold months or weeks, but they they would like to stay. So I think the uh, the popularity of some of the, the senior housing that we've seen, which really isn't necessarily affordable housing, will probably, uh, probably increase. There is plenty of there are plenty of places to move if you're a senior and you can buy a million dollar house. 
That's <laughs> a problem. Um, but what if you cannot? What if you're uh, looking for something that's a lot more modest? And I think that's going to fall into more of the category of what both Mike and uh, Bob have described as, as more like attainable housing rather than affordable. So I think that is one trend uh, we will see. I hope we also create um, some more uh, workforce housing that increases, that, that includes a population that, that might not necessarily be um, as well paid as the definition of that we have right now. Bob, what are the trends that you see developing? Do you think Naperville is going to be ready to meet the needs of the next generation of home buyers in the future? Well, I think that what we see nationwide is that the difference between central cities and suburbs has been breaking down. It used to be central city was very dense. It had all the culture. It had the restaurants, the theater. Suburbs were middle-class places where you had single-family houses and not necessarily a lot else. I think Naperville is a very uh, special case because Naperville has always had amenities that many of the surrounding communities don't have. Wonderful downtown, historic center, uh, great access by rail into Chicago. So I think that the, the future is going to be golden for Naperville, um, but it's going to depend what that future will be exactly will depend a lot on what the residents are willing to see. I think that if uh, it was wanted, you could have a, a much, much denser area around the train station in downtown. I think there would be a lot of pushback from people who like the, the small village atmosphere there. So I think that uh, it's still up in the air. Will Naperville go the way of a place like Bellevue, Washington, which is similar in some ways, which has created a, a whole new downtown at downtown scale? Or does Naperville want to continue on fairly large lots and, and a little village-like atmosphere? I think that's the choices that we're talking about, and it has a lot to do with affordability. Judy, can you talk about the role of regulations in the affordable housing conversation? Do you think relaxing some of the zoning and developing rules in the future would make it easier for developers to navigate the city's building processes and build more cost-effective dwellings? And if so, it's a two-part question, what would you recommend? I think uh, in recent conversations I've had with the staff, they definitely agree that it would be helpful if some of the zoning regulations were, were eased up on uh, uh, a bit. And just to build a little bit on what Bob uh, just said, you know, we had we had a proposal for something that was similar to what what he was mentioning, much more dense around the train station. Um, I was very much in favor of it, but it got voted down by the city council. That was the proposed um, Fifth Avenue station area, which was uh, did have some proposals for all you know all kinds of uh, different both amenities and types of housing, and was going to have a an affordable housing component. So that was a huge disappointment to me. Um, but it was clearly not something um, that the certainly the, the nearby residents were, were ready for yet. So we'll see what happens in the future. What Could you tell us a little bit more about what the resistance was in that conversation around Fifth Avenue Station and those who felt like maybe that wasn't the right move for Naperville? It's the same kind of resistance that, you, that we see to almost any large-scale development. It's about height. It's about density. And um, a lot of it is about fear, fear of what will this mean? It doesn't look like what I live in. Who's going to move in here? Um, this will perhaps reduce my property value or my quality of life. So I think some some of what perhaps we did not do terribly well was to um, to educate people about uh, the fact that it, it would be fine. I've seen development in Naperville for um, 35 years now and been part of the process for a, a long time. And I have never seen anything that hurt nearby neighbors. I think I think hindsight is 2020, and I want to talk a little bit about that fear because I think it's so important. I think um, a misunderstanding of what affordable housing means and, and what it can bring to a community and how it's different from other definitions of, of different types of housing, but also just speaking to the hindsight of the opposition that um, 
a city or a town may encounter with respect to affordable housing during the development process or, or when things are changing, and then afterwards. Those same people, Judy, um, who may have expressed opposition or fear in the process, you know, has that conversation changed, and Bob, you can speak to this too, has that conversation changed um, in hindsight of different developments at different stages in Naperville? Well, I think what happens frequently is that um, there's change, there's a big change, like, for example, the single-family houses turned into high-rises along the lakefront in Chicago. The people who were there initially were aghast at that, horrified, uh, but then once they got used to them being there, um, now they would, uh, they're very happy with that and they don't want any further change. So I think people take as a baseline where they came in and then very often they want to draw, um, raise the drawbridge at that point. So um, I think this fear of change is really one of the, of the great factors, but it is true that there is something lost when you have a lot more density. Let's say you were allowed to put a, another unit on every house in Naperville, you'd have a lot more cars, a lot more traffic, and it would be a different place. So um, I think that all of these changes that we're talking about affect some people positively, some people negatively. Um, that will change over time, but uh, you have to realize that there's always costs and benefits change is precisely what got us to be the community that so many of us are proud to live in. Yet, um, now we want things to just <laughs> slow down and just stay put sometimes, right? right. Um, because we're like, okay, we made all this change. We like it now. Right. I don't know what our tolerance is for, for more change. Um, and I think that does span across a wide breadth of people, right? Not just um, folks who have been here for, for 36 years, like Judy mentioned, but also new families who are moving in and have fallen in love quickly with this community. Um, I do want to shift the conversation a little bit to talk about development um, and, and what that looks like. Kevin, um, what would you say to those who say that some of the affordable housing mandates um, kill development? Um, do you think voluntary policies are better in terms of moving this conversation forward? Well, there's definitely a, a tension between the, um, the perceived value that property values may uh, decline because something happens and um, you know, and, and change. And I think there's a tendency to always want to, in the military, they say, make sure you don't fight the last war. And I think that's what many of these governments, uh, local governments fall into. And, and, you know, as a former councilman, I, I completely understand uh, that we look to the past to see how we're going to deal with these issues instead of looking to the future. And I, I think fortunately, the one of the good things that has come out of this pandemic is that it's giving everybody an opportunity to rethink the whole dynamic between work, live, play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the concerns that have arisen traditionally, you know, certainly even back in the 90s when I was on city council the first time, uh, a lot of those factors are, are probably relegated to the history books now. <laughs> and so trying to figure out where the world is going to go in the next 10, 15, 20 years and how we can address those issues is something that I think is a huge opportunity. And certainly I think the building community wants to be part of the solution. Um, but it, it's it's not necessarily uh, affordable housing versus the development community, because as we've seen, it's certainly the school district. Um, you know, in the 90s and the first decade of the century, school district 204 was absolutely hostile to any type of development that was not single family. Uh, and there were a lot of developers that were more than willing to put in multifamily and, and lower income housing. Um, and we talk about living independently and then having amenities. Uh, so, so that's an example, I think, of a forward-thinking developer. Uh, I, I've been advocating uh, that we redo the zoning ordinance for at least the last 10 years uh, because it's, it's very obsolete. 
Um, it, it is intended to develop large parcels of land that were formerly farms that um, would include a shopping center on the corner and a gas station and a school and parks. And, and, and we're way beyond that now. And it's time that we, as a community, completely revamp what our zoning ordinance is because the, the zoning ordinance is not really applicable to anything that, that Naperville is encountering these days. Mike, do you think Naperville really believes the housing affordability is a priority issue? And what do you think they will actually do to address it in the future? Well, in, in my view, Naperville, the larger community, and very specifically the Naperville government, to this point in time, do not have the shared belief that housing affordability is a priority issue for our community. Now, while there's been general agreement that housing affordability is an issue, the collective political will to move forward with any urgency has just not been there. And it's not there now, in fact, if you want to be honest about that. However, on a, on a very positive note, housing affordability and more specifically affordable housing is on the table. And there is honest and open discussion, and that is continuing. That's a very good thing, uh, very positive. The recent council workshop is a really good indicator of that. I do believe there will be affordability policies put into place, but there is still work to do. And I would like to see a greater sense of urgency to make it happen. Based on the council dialogue at the workshop, most recent one, the consensus seems to be moving forward with voluntary incentive-based policy, and that is fine. Let's get on with it and let's make something happen. Yeah, um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Mike said. I was at that meeting last night, and although uh, I certainly wasn't uh, in agreement with, with every opinion that was expressed, I thought on the whole it was quite positive. Uh, clearly, I think the current council understands that uh, we need a, um, a variety of approaches to get to more affordable housing. And uh, it doesn't sound as though they're counting any of them completely out and that they were fairly open, especially to ideas that would be um, more about incentives than about things that would make it uh, more difficult um, for development. And um, I, I think that does uh, match what, what the people in town are looking for. They, they know that it's a good goal. Um, but there certainly is some discussion about how we arrive at it. For the entire group, what, what are your final thoughts? Um, how do you feel that we best move forward as a community when it comes to the topic of affordable housing and how we get to that goal? Kevin, can I start with you? Sure. I, mean, I think having discussions like this are, are critically important because I think it's it, we live in a, in a day and age when we try to confine every issue to a simple box and say, this issue has to be discussed within the confines of this box. And affordable housing can't be confined to a single box. Uh, there's all kinds of other factors that are uh, in play. And it's not just the city council that, that has to deal with this. It's school districts, it's counties. Um, it, there's federal policies that affect what could happen and, and what we can do in the future. And, and I think that we need to, and I would encourage the city council and staff to not focus on what we've done in, in the past and what other communities have done in the past, but try to forecast where we think the world is going in the next 15 to 20 years, because I think it's going to be quite different than the last 15 or 20 years. And how do we implement policies and statutes that are forward-looking rather than backward-looking? Mike? Yeah, I think my comments are a little more, are, are more practical. I appreciate Kevin's comments and I agree with them. But on a more practical sense, I believe we need to provide more education to the entire community as well as city government with regard to affordability. We need to put clear-cut, well-defined policies in place so everyone clearly understands, the developers as well as uh, 
uh, the community the rules, the guidelines, and the possible flexibilities. And I'll come back to creating a housing-specific city staff position to effectively implement these policies and monitor them and recommend changes because they're going to be needed as the housing landscapes and the times change. But it certainly can be done. Judy? Yeah, I think an awful lot of what we need to do is education, um, get people to understand that some of the categories that we're talking about when we talk about affordable housing, you know, seniors, um, people who are disabled, vets, there are an awful lot of uh, Naperville's who are going to fall into that category. We know when the next census comes out, we're pretty sure it's going to go over 150,000 people. And probably the percentage of, of seniors is going to be uh, higher than it was uh, in the the 2010 uh, census. So when we understand that we're talking about people like us um, and uh, not some scary other, um, and even if the people are different uh, who than the ones they grew up with, that that's going to be fine and that we'll still have a, a vibrant, thriving, successful community even with the inclusion of more affordable housing, I think then people will be more comfortable with it. But, you know, these are political decisions. Um, you need a majority of people to vote for them for it to move forward. And Bob? Uh, well, uh, while I don't want to discount the importance of um, solutions for affordable housing in Naperville, I think it is going to require a lot of um, work across the whole region. The other thing is that in many ways, what we're talking about are, are probably uh, Band-Aid solutions. A few houses, not really that many, not really going to solve the problem. The, the more basic issue here is um, income inequality, inequalities of all kinds. The, the very idea that you have to subsidize housing for firemen or teachers uh, tells you that something is really wrong, that those people aren't making enough money to be able to afford to live in um, Naperville without that subsidy. So I, I, while I agree that this is a very important issue, I think it um, may be masking problems that are much bigger and uh, much more fundamental. Thank you to all of our guests for joining us today for this complex and often controversial topic. Our discussion focused on Naperville's affordable housing struggle and finding options that support forward-looking housing initiatives. We know the important role housing plays in promoting a stable, resilient, and vibrant community, and we appreciate this opportunity to discuss its past, present, and future here in Naperville. For Finding Common Ground, I'm Rebecca Malaki-Meslin. And I'm Dana Davenport. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.